Hello everyone and welcome to Discussing Trek. Today we are reviewing Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 7, But to Connect. Thank you for subscribing. What we do here on this podcast is review each and every episode of Star Trek in somewhat excessive detail, in addition to talking about all things Trek. Like always, I'm your host Clarence, and today I'm joined by fellow co-host and good friend slash Trekkie, Cal Jones. How are you doing today, sir? I am doing quite well. I love that introduction for 2022, and I hope you are the same, my friend. How are you? I'm doing well, yeah, and thank you for mentioning 2022. Happy New Year to all that are listening. We're glad you made it in. Indeed. And we're not going to delay it any longer. This is going to be just me and you kind of shooting the breeze about this episode, laid back as possible. So hopefully people will enjoy our conversation here. Awesome. I'm ready for it. Star Trek Discovery But to Connect was written by Terry Hughes Burton and Carlos Sisko, while the episode was directed by Lee Rose. Tensions rise as representatives from across the galaxy gather to confront the threat of the dark matter anomaly. Zora's new sentience raises difficult questions. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand the battle station. What gives you the right? You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you sprain something. Like always, we go to Cal Jones for the beats of the episode. Sometimes serious, sometimes comedic. You never know. Cal Jones, what do you have for us this week? I think I'm going to start out on a thoughtful 2022, and I'm going to say, I think, therefore I am, decisions, spoken or not, carry consequences. All righty, all righty. And yeah, sometimes the computer can think too much, in my opinion, but uh, we will get into all of that. What are your high-level thoughts of the episode? I really liked it. I enjoyed watching it. I would ve- I would be very happy to go back and watch it again for a second viewing, and I have no complaints about it. I love the fact, honestly, that there wasn't a bad guy in this, per se. This was all interpersonal, interspecies, because, you know, we'll get into that. But I just thought it was good. What about you? Yeah, I feel the same. It was very much on one end, you know, hammering out Starfleet slash Federation business, you know, with this group of, of, of member or friend worlds that, that have come along to try to decide what we're going to do about this DMA, as well as some very... Trek centric, I feel battling with the computer <laughs> to to try to figure out what the heck is going on with the Zora. So on both of those fronts, I thought it was very good and interesting, a bit slower. And I have to admit, I really didn't get super excited until the final five seconds and then subsequent second half midseason trailer that we got at the very end of the episode. Mm. So I didn't see the trailer, so I missed that. Ooh, so oh totally God. didn't see it, but I feel like I know what was coming. But I, I'm going to disagree with you. I was captivated from the start to the finish. I didn't look down. I didn't get distracted. Well, I, I take that back. I did look down at one point, and I'll tell you what I noticed in a minute while I was looking down doing something else. But I, I just... Re- just enjoyed it. Maybe it was my cup of tea, perhaps, that 
that kind of storyline just caught my attention? Maybe. But I I really liked it. Yeah, well let's 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 get into some of the high points of the episode. Stamets and Adura work with Zora to cross-reference every Federation database in order to find the origin point of the burn, which Zora finds pretty quickly, very, very surprisingly, she finds it pretty quickly. And it complicates things when Zora in turn refuses to give the information to Stamets and, and Adira. With the past few events we've had, first with Zora showing some feelings and her eventually saying that the crew of Discovery is our family um, was the fact that we have come to an impasse with Zora. Was it all that shocking? Mm. No, it wasn't shocking. I honestly was shocked that they got here quicker than I thought they would. But I'm actually glad they got here quicker because I think it changed the story and not let it be just your same old, is the AI going to turn bad? Is the AI good kind of thing? Yeah, I, I agree. I can't, I'm kind of glad they didn't let it linger as long because if, if if this was something that we would resolve at the very end of the season, it probably would have went on, you know, way too long and been less interesting. We come to this next episode and we're right on it. We're addressing this issue that every Trek viewer is noticing as we watch the last few episodes as Zora becomes more aware. I, I'm loving Kovic the more I see him on screen because he's like this almost a super counselor guy. <laughs> He is very sharp, and I just love a lot of the points that he makes. But did the notion that the Federation prohibits sentient integrated units, did it come as a shock to you? Because for me, I think Data and I think how Data was accepted into the Federation and he's basically a sentient robot. I felt like at this point in the future, maybe they would have been a little bit more accepting to a sentient ship. But yeah, did, did that come as a surprise to you that the Federation actually prohibits this as stated by Kovic? It didn't until you made such a very eloquent, logical reason why it should be odd, you know, because like you said, it's 900 years in the future. But looking at it from the context of you use data as an example, look at it from the context of data. Yes, he can interact with the ship. And yes, he could do xyz to the ship but so could wharf so could troy so could fill in the blank the difference is the enterprise was still the enterprise yeah zora is the discovery <laughs> for all intents and purposes yeah that's her body so i can't help to think but stamets made some really really good points with zora having access to all of discovery systems and having already shown, you know, a willingness to defy orders, I just kind of think, you know, even the best officer still has emotional hiccups or duty hiccups. And to me, it just seems weird that Zora, although which we've classified as in this episode as a fully sentient being, it just seems weird that they would not continue to have this fail safe when Zora has so much on her plate. And has to follow orders to a T or things can go terribly wrong, terribly quickly. So I, I, I'm still not know if I'm fully on board with kind of the resolution we've got of Zora as we get now being an official member of Starfleet. And that by 
that chain of command has to obey orders. But again, if you think that any officer, every officer does have their hiccups where they don't follow orders. And Zora is just so integrated and integral, integral to discovery that I just feel like there's going to be problems down the road with that. Maybe she just mirrors what she has seen from her captain, considering the fact that we start the story of Discovery way back in season one, episode one, with the person who is now the captain basically committing mutiny. Mm. Mm. Interesting. I mean, I, I just find that quite interesting that we're having a discussion about what she can and can't do and following orders. And wow, how times change when the mutiny, or the mutineer, I should say, Michael Burnham, is now captain. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. Interesting point. Do you think Stamets actually got rid of the kill switch that they created, that Zora created? Or is he like holding it in the back room in case something goes I wrong? actually think he got rid of it. I really do. Because, and I'll tell you why. If you if you go and you look at Stamets as a character, he is probably the one of the most aloof slash asshole for uh, yeah you know lack of a better word characters that they have on there. But if you notice, he is integral or plays a role in some of the most humane and humanity type stories and is kind of as like a supporting catalyst for them. Look at um, Adira's character. Look at Gray's character. You know, they play that into Stamets. I, I just find that they are using this character that should be the one who is against all of that to kind of push a little humanity forward. I just find that interesting. Yeah, and I don't, I quite frankly don't blame Stamets for his apprehension at first because, you know, they have to deal with control to get to this future that we're in now. So he, along with anyone else aboard the crew who experienced that past, definitely should come in with a bit of apprehension. But uh, one of the things that actually got on my nerves this episode is when Gray and Adira barged in. <laughs> like, why are they in here? <laughs> But they barged in to bid on Zora's behalf. Interestingly enough, what do you think about Gray actually going off to the Trio home world and Adira, I guess, is going to be on her own for a bit throughout the end of the season? Let me answer that question in a larger context of something I think we've even hit on about Discovery before. One thing I like about Discovery is it seems like they're not looking at this as being a cast of seven people, 10 people, and those 10 people will be there from episode one until the end of the season because they're the whole season. I like the fact that you don't know when somebody might be leaving. And does this mean that Gray is gone until forever? I don't know. I just kind of like the fact that you don't know what to accept because I think it entices me as a viewer to make sure I don't miss something. So you know where I said at the beginning, I mentioned looking down at one point. I'm going to say that, and just bear with me here, I'm going to say that Tilly is still with us. And the reason I say that is Tilly's lines are still with us. I was listening to something that Adira was in and she was interacting. This is toward probably the first 10 20 minutes of the episode, so the first half of the episode. 
And I look down and I'm hearing the conversation and I look back up expecting to see Tilly simply because the lines were straight out of classic Tilly. Who were saying said lines? It was Adira. So I'm saying Adira, and I've mentioned this before in, I think, either last episode or the episode before that, that I had a feeling that Adira was taking over old Tilly's role, meaning, you know, fresh Tilly's role. And 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 honestly, no no joke. I looked up expecting to see Mary Wiseman because of the the words I'm hearing were right up Tilly's alley. Agreed, sir. The other main plot in the episode is a DMA strategy assembly of delegates. Again, all four quadrants coming to Federation headquarters. And before we get into the details of those happenings. Did the look, let's talk about the look of the aliens. Did the look of any of the aliens spark your curiosity? Also, the lack of one particular species of alien shock you as well? No, and didn't even notice it until you said it. For me, I wouldn't say any of the looks sparked my curiosity, but I thought that there was an interesting array of aliens, some I had never seen before. Some that looked daft punkish, some that I really want to know more about. But I, I do feel like it was a good variety of, of alien species there. Also, um, the uh-huh. lack of Klingons. Where is the freaking Klingon Empire? Does it not exist anymore? And wouldn't that not be interesting if the Klingons turn out to be species, whatever, one, two, eight, six, 58, 10, <laughs> five, or whatever they're calling it? Yeah, yeah, that would be interesting. I don't think they are, but man, they really are avoiding Klingons at all costs in this series, which is, is kind of interesting at this point anyway, since since supposedly, uh, according to the, the Star Trek classic <laughs> fans, they botched it so so horrendously in the past. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, we're not even I, I'm just hearing our fellow co-host, Carrie, saying Takumba. So. <laughs> Did any of the representatives there look like Robin Hood or the Pied Piper to you? <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking about, but no, it didn't. I think, honestly, before you before, before you elaborate on that, because I, I'm going to say this before I forget it, this made me interested to see a Starfleet TV show. But keep going with where, where you were going with that. Um, well, I was just going to talk about General Nadoye. The Earth representative looking totally ridiculous in her costume. Uh, I, yeah, I, I didn't like that look. It was just pretty horrendous. <laughs> but she had a little feather looking thing on her hat. And, it, you know, it just looked like something out of, I don't know, Robin Hood or something. It was really weird. I just got the feeling that the Earth people are not the Earth people that we expect to see. In other words, I, I don't know. I just didn't. I, I just have a bad feeling about that character for some reason. I don't know. We did learn that Earth is a bit more inclusive, which they did. she did say, which is a direct result of Burnham's interaction with Earth in the previous season. So they, they, they're opening up a little bit. True. Good point. Very good point. So again, the assembly has been called to discuss and vote on the next course of action once they have the coordinates to the origin of the DMA. And again, it was good to see all the quadrants united. 
Of course, as you just spoke with Earth's general, (laughs) her first reaction to how we should deal with these people or this species once we actually get to the origin is she wants to attack. She wants to fight. And of course, we see the Vulcan president, Tarina, wants to open up the, the Federation, normal Federation diplomacy line of communication. Interesting stuff there. It was kind of interesting to see some of the politics go back and forth there. And the rest of the episode is just pretty much seeing the debate around those choices. Again, one strategy, pretty peaceful. First contact adheres to prime directive and the other all out destruction of the anomaly energy source. So let me ask you this question, if you don't mind, which vote would you have taken? I would like to say that I would be ready to adhere to Federation principles and at least plan A be to open up a line of communication, because as we know, things can go wrong and accidents can happen. I just feel like if we don't know the reasoning why they're doing it, it could happen again. And, you know, I think it's just a good choice to first try to communicate. What would you do, sir? I'm going to agree with you, but I'm going for the sake of variety and playing devil's advocate. I'm going to take the counter and say, okay, well, yes, you're Federation. I'm not Federation. Here's this guy up there talking to me that says, hmm, my planet was wiped out. I don't want my planet to be wiped out. Mm. That's why I said I would really think I would enjoy a Federation or Starfleet. Well, I guess it's Federation TV show that's focusing on that because I found that whole argument Really, really interesting. The back and forth of non-member worlds versus member worlds and realizing that when it all boils down to it, and this is in real world too, it's just someone taking an educated guess based off of the intel that they have received, and it's a 50-50 crapshoot. Well, that, that's the exact reason I would, would not want a federation... <laughs> series because i see it every day you know true true that definitely you can you can have the analogy here to 9-11 weapons of mass destruction and you definitely have the pros and cons and like you said when it comes down to it it's pretty much just a flip of a coin just an educated guess on what the intentions were we know what the results were a planet got destroyed we know the results But looking at the attentions and who's actually responsible is going to take a lot more digging and a lot more work. Case in point, let's go back to last season where we have the burn and what caused the burn was basically a child having a temper tantrum. (laughs) We never speak about the burn anymore, Cal. (laughs) Yeah, but but really, seriously, you know, you, you started out with this horrific event and by the end of the season, child with a temper tantrum. Yeah, you never know. You never know what's causing this this big world changing issue. And of course, we have our trusty friend, not so trusty, in fact, Rion Tarka and his research. I'm holding up quotes on this one. Research shows that he can create a cascading subspace burst using the outlawed isolated weapons within the eye of the storm. We do get a bit more backstory about Tarka. But do we still have the feeling that he kind of knows too much about this? 
Do we have a feeling that he is playing book like a fiddle, as I've heard said, uh, somebody say, maybe my grandparents or something? But yes, he is so untrustworthy. It's just like screaming at me. Oh, my God. He is so bad. (laughs) And the outright manipulation of Booker and just really interesting. Now, we do learn that they both shared some time in prison by Osiro, which we saw book a bit of books time being in prison but apparently Tarka has gone through a similar thing and forced to do science on behalf of of Osiro which interesting Tarka mentions that he needs the power source of the DMA in order to get to his new home in another universe with his scientist friend so who is his science friend that's number one number two you're Not only, you know, it's like you made a comment when we were on discussing who talking about the flux and revealing multiverse and whatever. And of course, spoilers, if you are listening and watching Marvel content right now, variants, multiverse, it's like everybody has to have a multiverse now. Yeah, I'm kind of interested that they're leaning into it so much and I really didn't expect them to go back to it so quickly. But yeah, interesting that Tarka apparently wants to get to another universe that's not the mirror universe, as he states. There, there's a myriad of universes out there, or parallel universes. So yeah, interesting, interesting stuff. And I have a feeling there's going to be more to meet the eye when we find out what's actually behind all of that. So what if the DMA thing, and I'm just, just free thinking here, what if this DMA thing is literally a shatter or a break in the universe and not a flux Mm. type event. You know what I'm saying? What if, what if that is why he's trying to recreate or control this anomaly thing? Dark matter anomaly is because it's creating some type of wormhole maybe. Hmm. Now we do know, according to last season and, uh, we know that in Kovic, I think Kovic said this, that actually travel, a parallel travel through universes has become less frequent over the years. And it's, it's even hard to get to the mirror universe in this time, because as time c- goes from TOS forward, it it gets less and less travel between, you know, the mirror and the prime universe. So I don't know. But, you know, and then I know we'll move, we need to move on. But just because the ability to travel through to that universe does not necessarily mean it is as difficult. It may be easier now to travel to, say, Mm. Earth 3 or Earth 8 (laughs) or whatever the case may be. Oh, you're such a DC guy, man. (laughs) Thank you, sir. How do we feel about Book's eventual fight with Burnham? I know we've gotten a bunch of foreshadowing for this coming uh, Book's father, including the the altercation on the prison planet, the pl- prison asteroid. How do we feel about how this actually played out? And again, I guess we can't say one or the other, but but who was right in the situation? I think we've all both said that we like the Federation side to to win, but Book does have a pretty good argument, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. He has a good argument. I hated the fact that 
he was acting not well, he was acting of his own accord, but acting out of emotion, not as of being level headed. Because, you know, stories can be stories and stories can be anything. But I don't see Starfleet letting him back on the ship as easy as he's been given carte blanche to do what he wants to. Oh, yeah. I, I quite frankly think this might be the end of Book Burnham. Because <laughs> it doesn't look it doesn't look too good after especially the end of the episode after the vote, after the assembly chooses to take the Federation approach. Thank goodness, a.k.a. the diplomatic approach to investigating the origin coordinates of the DMA book and Tarka take matters into their own hands. And this is the point of the episode. I just was like, oh, my freaking goodness. What the frack is going on? What do you think about that ending? Oh, I, again, feel like he was being manipulated. But as far as what happened with the installing the second spore drive, I think it is where they, being the writers, are so good at what they're doing because you have been laying down this groundwork for two series or two seasons for, you know, him having the ability to do, et cetera, and so forth. I I was all on board for him having that on his ship. I was not on board for how it got on his ship. Man, I love the fact that with all this futuristic technology, we're able to make the sport drive into this tiny little unit you can install. But oh boy, man, Tark is just the worst. He's just the worst, man. <laughs> he he still steals the prototype and he, he and Book presumably go to find some isolated weapons to actually do the deed that the Federation would not do. So I want to deal in rumors just for a second, because this actually got me a little excited over this, over the fact of mm, if he's turning quote unquote bad and he leaves at the end of this season, maybe his character does because of his actions in this season. I have read rumors and again, mere speculation too early to tell because he is from Britain and there is a certain Doctor Who that mm. is looking for a actor to be Doctor Number 14. I would be cool with him being Number 14. Yeah, let's 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 make David Ajala the next Doctor Who. I'm down for that. I'm totally down for that because honestly, it looks like his days on Discovery might be numbered. <laughs> And, and, you know, I'm reading in more, you know, I remember there were people left, right, and center in 2017 saying, oh, well, Chris Marshall is leaving Death in Paradise. Oh, he's, you know, two to one going to be the next doctor. And he wasn't. So, mm, you mm. know, so there you go. Yeah, interesting. And, and speaking of Doctor Who, I, I thought we would have gotten that announcement by now, but... I'm all for waiting if they can surprise us in a sufficient fashion. I'm, I'm down for waiting a little bit. For I that. am too. But what we won't wait for is to get back to Discovery. Sorry to sideline us there. Uh, and before we move on, if you want to know more about our discussions on Doctor Who, you can go to DiscussingWho.com and subscribe to our podcast there to hear us rant endlessly about it. <laughs> Indeed. So, I mean, I think we're pretty much finished with the review, but... I just kind of love the parallel between the speech that Stamets gave and the speech that Burnham gave, where they kind of were doing the panning camera around the two and switching back and forth, which talked about trust, the unknown and the sentiment of, of togetherness. So I, I loved kind of the parallel there. 
And yeah, I, I thought this was a good episode. I, I, I was like jumping up by the end of the episode. Like, don't do this to us before a mid-season break. Please don't. But they did. Do you have any other takeaways before we give ratings for the episode? The only other thing that I will mention is I, I want to double down on what I said, that I'm glad they did not draw out the AI story longer because now establishing still the AI story, but establishing Zora as her own sentient species slash being gives way to new stories. And it's not the same old, same old. So kudos to them. I want to double down on that. Yeah, I totally agree with what you said there. And also, if if you have not seen the mid-season trailer, go seek it out on YouTube. Go back to the end of the episode and watch the last few minutes because, oh boy, <laughs> oh, we could have a whole discussion about that, really. <laughs> but with that said, let's go ahead and get ratings for the episode. Cal Jones, what is your rating for But To Connect? Mm. You know what? I keep saying that I liked it so much. I don't want to give it a perfect score, but... I'm going to give it a 4.9. I really like this. Oh, wow. Wow. I am shocked. I am shocked, man. You sound like Jonathan over there. <laughs> How so? Why, why are you shocked? Because mine came in way lower. And I'm going to up mine just a little bit, to be honest, because when we normally our friend Tasha Pierce from After the Snap does a live review of streaming shows. And this is one of the shows she covered. And on that, I think I gave it like a 3.5. But honestly... Um, you, you brought me up quite a bit on that and I'm going to think I'm going to settle at 4.1 on this. I do not begrudge your 4.9. I feel like that's an excellent score as well. And I don't get begrudge your 4.1 because you, all your points are valid. But what I think it is a good testament of is this show can be different things for different people. And I think that's cool. Certainly, sir. Yeah, and guys, please, if you want to let us know what you think of But To Connect, you can send feedback in for that to fans at DiscussingTrek.com or hit us up at DiscussingTrek on any and all social medias. Also, like I just said a few minutes ago, if you want to hear me, Kyle, along with our friend Lee, rant relentlessly about Doctor Who, you can go to DiscussingWho.com and be sure to subscribe there as well. And until next time, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe. Hey guys, it's Sergio from Reality Breached. We've got a bunch of different podcasts over on our network at realitybreached.com, and one of my favorites is Shellheads, a TMNT podcast. 
Shellheads is a deep dive into the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in ways you've never heard before. From the early comic days to the current Nick show, nothing is off limits. Jeff from the Warp Zone Arcade joins me to binge watch and power read through a comprehensive library of TMNT fandom. Check Shellheads out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. For more details, visit realitybreached.com. You've been listening to the Discussing Network. Find out more at discussingnetwork.com.